The one thing that I believe would work everywhere is fighting. Because it doesn't matter what color you are, what country you come from, or what language you speak. We're all human beings and fighting's in our DNA, man. We get it and we like it. Hi, Michael Morgan, and welcome to this week's episode of The Wokecast. Joining me on a pretty stacked edition is my sister from another mister, G from WoTV. How you doing, G? Hey, 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 Mike. We have so much to talk about. How are you, though? We do. I'm pretty well, actually. Um, another weekend spent not just watching fights, but catching up with Peaky Blinders. I'm telling you, you're missing something quite phenomenal that, you know, once you have actually indulged in one episode, you will not be able to go back. I mean, apart from that, what were you doing, um, well, as well as watching fights over the weekend? Man, hanging out with friends, living, you know, living my best life, hitting the streets, coming back, watching fights, and also, you know, working on my schoolwork, which wasn't fun, but it needs to be done. But That sounds uh, pretty harsh, actually. And uh, <laughs> speaking of harsh, um, I suppose it makes sense just to quickly canter through what we've got in terms of content because um there is quite a lot uh, that we're going to mm, be hitting mm. the uh, listeners with and uh first up we're going to be talking about the weekend's action and that is what took place at ufc 242 as well as that we're going to canter through um our picks our main talking points for bellator and um, 226 but um, also joining us on this week's episode, our guests are Lerone Murphy, who I thought gave a very, fan- well, he gave a, a great account of himself over the weekend. And Absolutely. also we're joined by Leo the Lion Kunst, who many people may remember, um, basically is a UFC vet, but had a, a rather interesting end to um, a very short-lived career there. So first off, let's just uh, canter through the runners and riders in terms of the main talking points for UFC 242. Now, first off, um, before we get to obviously the main and co-main and the the obvious talking points, for me, um, you'll hear later on when we um, hear from Lerone Murphy, I was forced to eat some serious crow. I'm not, you know, one to um, be shirking my responsibilities in terms of, uh, re- well, apologising when I get things wrong. And I certainly apologised to Lerone Murphy for counting him out before he'd actually even swung a punch because I thought it was going to be a one-sided affair given that Lerone was coming from a regional promotion and the regional scene without even, you know, touching on the major touch points in terms of the regional scene so for me you know I thought he gave an incredible account against uh, Zabara uh, Tugogov and um, I think as well considering the heat I mean having been in Dubai having known what you know conditions that these um, amazing athletes were actually um, were subjected to in terms of that being an outdoor event in terms of the reports which were coming in and and so many people were commenting on the heat playing a factor. I really do feel that um, it wasn't the one-sided beatdown that I was expecting. It wasn't the one-sided showing that I expected. And Lerone gave a fantastic account of his debut. I mean, what did you think? I was um, impressed. And I was also a bit... um, I I was biased because, you know, I do the show with you, Michael. And 
I didn't know much about him. And I remember we discussed this thoroughly. And I was like, yo, Mike is right. Like, he's been on the regional market. His opponent is, you know, from Dagestan. He's one of those guys. And I was just like, oh, my God. He's And then it's in their backyard. Like, I was really worried for him. And then he comes out. And he puts on a show, and then not only does he put on a show, he gives the guy a fight of his life, and he looked like some hard-earned vet. Like, the only issue that I had, not issue, but the only thing that he probably needs to work on was that takedown defense. And Dominic Cruz said it best, like, he needs to work on his wizard. And again, Michael, I don't train in martial arts, but I am familiar with these moves, and it's hard for me to articulate them because I don't train, but I agree with Dominic Cruz. Like, once he gets his issues with the wizard and his takedown defense, you know up to par he's gonna be great and one more thing Michael the Americans loved him on my end on my Twitter page folks were really commenting they want to see him fight again they really liked the effort he put forth and they liked his striking so for someone that the Americans weren't really familiar with they have their eye on him now including me it was a dope-ass fight which is fantastic to see because, as I say, I, I certainly misjudged him. I thought he looked phenomenal on the, on the feet. Oh, my God. His whole style, his whole posture, his movement was incredible. His and I like the yeah. fact that, you know, he clearly had Zabara um, frightened on the feet. I mean, I'm talking like every single time that there was any kind of exchange, you know, he had Zabara backing off and it, it, he almost had to chase him to try and engage. Now, obviously... Um, when he actually got him to the mat, um, Lerone Murphy on off his back wasn't that defensive. Um, Correct. Wasn't it was was definitely in deeper water. But right. still, given that that wasn't his territory, I I couldn't see Tikogov doing anything that was a threat. It was almost as though he was hanging on for dear life, or he was oh, trying absolutely. to catch his breath. So. I think given the caliber of Tukogov, given uh, the fearsome wrestling um, mm-hmm. that I thought initially was going to be at play here, I really can't say enough about Lerone Murphy and how fantastic he looked. You know, I know it may be um, the fact that this was his first outing, but I like the fact that, you know, he earned the respect and he did it in such a, I feel, dominant fashion on the feet. Oh, Absolutely, Michael. Totally agree. Because in round one, um, Tuganov hit him with a left hand. And I was like, oh, boy, like this is he's in over his head. What is um, Lerone? Um, what does Murphy do? He comes back in round two and three and starts lighting him up with the right hand. And then he adjusts. You know me. And when fighters adjust, I get so excited. He adjusts. And now he's not only tagging him with his right hand, he's moving forward, causing his opponent to move backwards. And then now his opponent's like, I got to take this guy down. And I think with when he tweaks his takedown defense, there's no stopping him. If he can thwart the takedown defense, his striking is excellent. He's going to be a problem in this uh, featherweight division. And um, I, I can't wait to see him with other UFC fighters, and hopefully they develop him because all he has to do is just tweak his takedown defense because that right hand was gorgeous. And let's also talk about the couple of guillotines that had me like, man, that shit is in tight. He might have this in the bag. There were two guillotine attempts that had me holding my breath. And I was quite impressed with how savvy they were and how quick they were. And he was able to grab dude's neck so quickly. And I liked his gas tank. Uh, Tuganov looked like he was going to die towards the end of the later rounds. And did you notice at the end of the fight, he almost had to be held up. Meanwhile, Murphy was just chilling, waiting for the results of the fight. I mean, his gas tank has to be spoken of as well. 
That's what I'm saying. He was using those takedowns to rest. I mean, one person who didn't get a chance to rest, and I know that, you know, I was um, only going to be having a quick canter through the the prelims (laughs) and uh, before we got, but I have to say, stunning knockout victory by Ottoman Azatar. And um, Timu uh, Pakalan, I feel maybe... um, Maybe considering his future and life choices, because, you know, that's the second time that he's been spectacularly knocked out in the octagon. And you could see that Ottoman um, himself was hunting for that because each and every shot was designed to put put, um, Timu Pakalan on his back, basically shut his lights out. And he was hunting for that KO. Um, Ottoman was actually hunting for that KO each and every shot. And he finally found it. Yeah, I mean... Ottman came out and he looked, his shots were precise, they were accurate, Um, even the one he landed right on the side of his head, that was on purpose, the knockout shot, and then his footwork, he was in and out, and he just looked confident, and I wonder, I don't want to say that Ottman isn't a talented man, but it's like kind of what you were saying about Timu, it's just like, you've got some... uh, you know, choices to, to think about here because your opponent came out and he really had his way with you, you know? So, and like you said, this is his second, you know, vicious knockout in the yeah. UFC. Yeah, so I'm just kind of like, but Ottoman did the right thing. He came out there and he did what he was supposed to do against an opponent that was not up to par. You know, he didn't, he didn't win by points. He didn't come out there and toy with him. I, I hate when fighters play with their food. I get it. It's a mismatch or, or you're much better than him. It doesn't mean play with the food or, or, or win by points. Go in there and knock him out. And I like that um, Conan Atman, um, Azatar, did just that. And he deserved the bonus. I was, I was thrilled with his debut and he deserved it. So... Before we move on to the main card, were there any other standouts um, or noteworthy pieces in terms of fights that you wanted to to cover before we move on? Absolutely. Real quick, JoJo versus Andrea Lee. Loved it. Um, Nice to see another Brit on the card. There you go. There you go. And not just nice to see another Brit on the card. JoJo came out and she made up for that lackluster, I hate to say it, the lackluster performance she had with Caitlin Shikagan. When she fought Caitlin Shikagan, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't see the teep kick. She she looked a little stagnant. She, here, she came out. She came forward. That teep kick that we love was on fire, okay? And then the elbows and the clinch that obviously hurt Andrea Lee was just a beautiful sight. It was, it was, a, it was a Muay Thai fight until Andrea Lee realized, I need to take <clears> her down. And then, and then Joanne also at some point was also taking her down. She, she, she seemed invigorated and back. But I just, I think I want to see her fight one more time before she goes up against Valentina. I kind of like that when they gave her the mic, she was like, whoever the UFC gives me. Ugh, and I, hate I hate that, that. mic. I yeah. hate it too. I hate it too. But in this situation, it, it was appropriate. She's not ready mm. for Valentina yet. Give her one or two more camps. Let her get better and better. But this is just like the one time I'll say this, it was fitting for her to say it. Because I'm with you, Mike. I hate that shit. They give you the <laughs> mic, you need to just fucking eat it up and, and call someone out and try to... That's how you self-promote. But exactly. I let JoJo slide with that one real quick. But it was a brilliant performance, and I'm happy she got it over Andrea Lee. And you know what? I know it's a minor thing, but I like the way in which, you know, Joanne Calderwood was respectful to the local culture there. And she didn't have to. But I, I like the way that she covered herself and 
<coughs> excuse me. I know, you know, the ring girls were obviously um, a, a totally different uh, kettle of fish, but, you know, I just like the fact that, you know, she observed what the local culture um, found acceptable. You know, she gets props from me for that. But um, oh, yeah. apart from apart from um, Joanne Calderwood and Andrea Lee, you ready to go to the main card? Yeah, let's do it. Because um, for me, uh, it was all about Edson Barboza and Paul Felder. I mm. really do feel it was a razor sharp um, decision. I really do feel uh, Paul Felder, for me, um, wasn't recognised enough for you know fighting off his back i mean there were so many times yeah. where the the elbows i mean I, I i i think it was termed as um what was in that tomahawk elbows i loved that phrase yeah. because that's exactly it's how exactly he was what it wielding is the, yeah. those elbows it was it was in in such a savage and um in such a in such a um in in such a fashion where he was literally chopping into his opponent i like the fact that you know edson barboza um wasn't actually put off by you know the comes forward style of felder and uh you know we saw the usual spinning techniques the spinning back kicks i love the fact that you know with each spinning technique it wasn't just wild i mean the spinning back this connected and connected flush but you know that didn't actually slow felder's role and i love the fact that you know even though they'd actually done this before, even though, um, you know, this was something which was being replayed, it felt like something completely fresh. Yes, yes, because it felt like it was completely fresh because Paul Felder has made improvements from his last previous fight. So you're seeing that and then you're seeing him improve upon fighting his foe, someone that he has fought before. So he knew to crowd him to come forward and try to clinch him. I thought he would do it a bit more, but he still did it. And then, lo and behold, did I see Edson Barbosa get a takedown or two in this fight? Since when? That was nice. I was like, okay, you're going for the takedown, Edson? Beautiful. On yeah. top of, you know, and that's not really something that he does. So for him to be able to do that in a fight against Paul Felder just shows a lot for where his head is at, where new training techniques, all types of things that Edson himself is working on. And I really like that. And I also like that he still was the dangerous Edson that we like with those kicks. Michael, those kicks were scaring me once again. He kicks so hard and so quickly that it's, like, frightening. And and Paul just kind of ate them up, but I'm sure they hurt. Like, they're, they're, they're really scary to me. Yeah, but, I, but you know, Felder himself was actually coming back with some, yeah. you know, low-calf kicks. And they were vicious. Vicious. And, you know, it, they weren't even being checked until, you know, mid or well, midpoint where, you know, Barboza was like, oh, maybe I need to start checking yeah, these. Yeah, this is, this but, is um, starting to hurt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I need to check this shit, right. And then, but I will say this. It was a close fight. I had it for Edson. I had Edson round one and two, and I thought Paul turned up the heat in the third round. But I am not upset the fight went to Paul Felder because one, yeah. I picked one, I picked Paul, and two, it's not a robbery. Just because a fight is close and it goes to someone that you don't think won does not mean they didn't win the fight. It's just a very close fight. It's not a robbery. I saw so oh, many definitely. people. You know what I mean? Like so many people like Paul was robbed. I mean, mm. excuse me, Edson was robbed. No, he wasn't. It was a close fight. And this is what happens when people are evenly matched. Well, I'm so pleased that this essentially sets up a third fight because I would Absolutely. pay real good money to see that happen. 
And that's why I get like annoyed sometimes with like MMA Twitter or the, or the fans when they just bitch and moan about their favorite fighter getting robbed. Will you just sit down and wait for the trilogy? Like, is this not an, is this not fun? It's not a robbery. It was a hard fight. I do think a thirty twenty seven was absolutely ridiculous. Like that that I think we can I don't complain know. I, about I, that. I, exactly. I don't know where or, or, yeah. or what was being watched. I was like, what? When- <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, other than that, it wasn't a robbery, and it was a close match, and I enjoyed it. I'm ready for the third. And they, yeah. they'll probably do it, too. It's going to sell. Now, moving on to the main event, I mean, Khabib Nurmagomedov mm. and Dustin Poirier. For me, I have to say, there were some moments in here where I felt, you know, Dustin had Khabib on the back foot, especially when he was backing him up with, you know, basically um, some vicious hooks and some what well, I thought the jab was beautiful, but... It just wasn't enough. And, and what was frightening, you know, when Dustin went back to his corner and you could hear the corner cam and the, the audio came on and he was saying, I just can't get him off me. I now, know. imagine you're midway through the fight and that is coming out of your mouth. Frightening because the pace that Khabib was actually putting on him was stifling. Not only did he have the heat to contend with, but he had like, you know, basically someone who wasn't giving him oxygen or any space in which to move, manoeuvre, to breathe, even to get off any shots. It was almost as though it was, it was almost, as I, as I mentioned, quite frightening to actually yeah. see what was it actually unfolding there. Yeah, I've actually tweeted that a few times. Some of my followers will, will laugh at me when I say this, but I've actually tweeted that I find Khabib's fighting style to be um, frightening to me. Like yes. if I was a fighter, yes. I would still fight him because, you know, I'm thinking I'd be, a, you know, like a, a brave fighter if I was mm. one. But <laughs> um, I would still fight him, but I would have trepidations. Like it is just something very scary about somebody that's just always on your back and hitting you that hard and someone who doesn't get tired. And then I just think could be. Um, fights a perfect fight. His positioning is perfection. He controlled Dustin. He was um, conducting all types of trips to get Dustin down on the ground. He gave him no space to breathe. And mind you, what was it like? It was 100 degrees in Abu Dhabi and with their little air conditioning or the fans that they had, it was like 80 degrees with humidity, I think. That's ridiculous. And then the sheer panic in Dustin's corner when he was like, I can't get him off him. And you remember Mm. how Dustin came into this fight. You couldn't tell him shit. And then after one round, he was like, yo, I can't get him off me. I was like, oh, no. (laughs) I think that was the game plan to try and get distance at least at some kind of, um, well, slow the pace to Dustin's um, tempo. But that wasn't happening. It was relentless. It was almost as though, you know, that is what Khabib does. He strikes fear in opponents by basically not giving you any energy or any room to breathe. But I think that's the beauty of Khabib is that you come in there with a game plan. And I do agree with you. When I rewatched the fight and did some reading, it looked as if if you if you watch it again, Dustin stays on the outside. And he's trying to conduct this type of fight with Khabib on the outside. And Khabib, like, you know, in the first round, they were, like, testing each other out. And you could see, like, Dustin's like, I'm going to stay on the outside. But it just didn't work because Khabib just was like, well, now I'm going to go in for the takedown. And once I'm on your back, that's it. And there's something else we need to discuss about Khabib. Everyone is like, oh, he's really fast. Yes, he's really fast with the wrestling. But did you notice that his hands are fast, meaning when he goes in for one choke and one neck crank, he hits you and then he switches hands so quickly. And that's how he's able to get these like submissions because 
His hands are really fast with submissions, yeah. something that I yeah. noticed. He distracts you with some strikes. He hits hard, and then he switches hands, and now he's got his other arm under your neck. Mm. And, it's, and it's so frightening. And you can see it in Dustin's face. If you look at the photos and if you watch it again, you can see the sheer panic. Yeah, especially yeah. right before no, he right. taps. Oh, it, was, it was a nightmare to watch for Dustin, but it was also just like a beauty to see this machine go to work. And, and I just, I don't think anyone has anything for Khabib right now. I'm just going to go out and say it. I, don't, I think Tony's going to fall a little short, but that's going to be a fun fight. I wouldn't be surprised if Khabib goes down um, retired as undefeated. I think we might be looking at another goat here, you know? Exactly. I mean, the only person in terms of record within the UFC, 12 wins deep, is, you know, arguably the the next person who should be um without a doubt there should be no debate there should be no discussion there should be no delay mm-hmm. in getting tony ferguson basically um in the cage with khabib you know speaking of khabib and speaking of you know respect someone who was actually paying khabib a lot of respect was our first guest this week Lerone murphy mm-hmm. he fought zubara tukugov to a draw, he made his UFC debut this past weekend at UFC 242. My next guest is Larone the Miracle Murphy. Welcome to the Worldcast, Larone. What's happening, bro? Well, it's been a while. I'm not sure if you remember, but several years ago, 2000 and I think it was 14, uh, I first met you. I was introduced to you by a good friend of yours, Kane the Danger Musa. Do you remember that? Yeah, was it after a fight? This was at All Powers. We were doing a mini documentary on Kane, and he introduced oh, yeah, you. As, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He, intro- he introduced me and yourself as someone that I should be keeping a really close eye on, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, Kane, let's move on." But fast forward <laughs> to 2019, and Kane Nostradamus Musa um, basically called that one right, didn't he? what you're saying you slept on me yeah big time big time and i have to put my hands fully up you know full disclosure going into this fight uh at the weekend with tukogov um i have to say i had actually written you off as basically having gone through the regional scene i personally thought that this might be a step up too quickly for you so i didn't want to front i mean Really and truly, um, Kane knows me really well. He knows that, you know, I'm a man who kind of like just speaks my mind. And I'm a man that if I get it wrong, I will tell you I get it wrong. I mean, incidentally, I got it wrong with uh, Kane's last fight. I told him, you know, this is going to be a tough challenge for him. And that, you know, he needs to wake up. He needs to step up. The man called me at, it must have been about 7.30 on a Sunday morning to say, yeah, so Mike, your boy, talk to me about him. <laughs> So, you know, I just thought, full disclosure, I was shocked and surprised. And I have to say, a newfound respect uh, was uh, actually acknowledged for you because that was one hell of a debut. Yeah, I don't think you was the only one, though. You know, a lot of people was writing me off um, in that fight because obviously his background and whatnot. And people say I've not fought nobody, but I've only been able to fight who's been put in front of me. Do you know what I'm saying? So... It's just one of them. I knew I had the ability to beat him. And I, I did when when I watched the fight back. I did. I do think I won the fight, but uh, it is what it is, isn't it? 
You know what, having looked at that fight myself, uh, I mean, initially, again, hands up, I did actually give it to Tukogov. Tukogov. Um, I watched the fight again. I watched it twice. I personally felt he did nothing when he took you down. Whilst he was able to take you down and take you down almost at will, um, your takedown D was superb, but on taking you down, it was almost as though he was trying to actually escape the strikes because essentially he was doing nothing when he was on top of you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He was just like, he was holding on this. So it's really and truly like in the new, in the new um, scoring rules, you don't, you don't get no points for that really. Do you know what I mean? You shouldn't have really been getting points for that. But obviously um, I looked on the scorecards and one of the judges scored the first round a 10-8 which it possibly could have been, do you know what I mean? That's what that's how we got the draw. The other judges scored me winning the last two. And and that's just the thing. Um I could see from your demeanour that, you know, looking basically in 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 the moment of the fight that you weren't really too pleased with your own performance. Like, okay, we're we're forty eight hours removed from that fight now. Looking back, I mean I personally felt as though you gave an amazing account of yourself, but yourself, like looking back on that fight, 48 hours removed from that fight, what's your whole take on the whole experience? Yep, so I've shown heart, obviously. I'm always going to show heart, that's just me. But I, I, I believe my, my striking choice was wrong. I, I, I was getting taken down because I was, I was selecting the wrong shots at the wrong, at the wrong time, do you know what I'm saying? Um, which isn't like me. I was I was hunting for the finish too much because I seen he was tired, and he would capitalize on my sloppy kicks or whatever it was. Um, normally in a gym when I'm when I'm sparring wrestlers like that, I would just pick my shots. I'll just play with my hands and then I flick a kick and I play with my hands, play with my hands. But I was just trying to kill him, um, and that ultimately cost me to get him in a win. Um, I was throwing sloppy shots and. He ended up taking me down a few times. Again, I'm sure you've heard this um, from all corners, particularly Kane. It's instinctive to actually go in for the kill, going for the finish when you can see your opponent actually flailing the way that he was. And to be fair, you had him rocked several times and I could see why you would actually go in and actually try and finish him. So I, I personally feel you're being a little bit harsh on yourself there. Yeah, but do you know what? Do you know what? Do you know what? I normally, like, I, I wasn't... If you uh, if you watched if you watch closely, yeah, you'll see I wasn't bringing my feet with me. I wasn't touching into distance. Then play then then going for the finish. I was just trying to take his head off from from out of range, which was causing me to swing, and he was coming underneath me. If you watch it back, you'll know what I mean. I, I hear where but, you're coming it from. It's all right. It was, it, do you know what? Do you know what? I've, like I've come out of it with a good experience. Um, I've not got a loss on my record, so I'm happy. Do you know what I'm saying? I can go again. I suppose I suppose the all important thing is as well you've got a four well basically a four fight contract on the back of yeah. that now going into the fight uh, or going into the actual bout was it a foregone conclusion that you were signed? I mean, there was a lot of, I have to say, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, you were flying under the radar. You weren't getting a major push from um, the UFC. It wasn't as though they even announced that you'd actually been officially signed. I mean, first of all, what was all that about? Why the, um, why, why the low-key, um, well, why, why the low-key presence? 
Right. So um, what happened is why well, I couldn't, I could, I didn't speak to you earlier because I was having um, problems with some clearing some medicals. So that's why it didn't get made official. Like I actually didn't get cleared until two days before the fight. Ah, so the issue was a, a medical issue. It wasn't that they were actually sleeping or, or basically um, putting their social media on the back burner when it came to you. No, it wasn't. It wasn't actually like it wasn't actually official. Obviously, the, the fight was signed and stuff, but the the medical wasn't clear. So it, it, it was it was all up in the air till the last two days, which was why I couldn't really speak to anybody about it. Or I couldn't post anything myself. Right. So, had you actually gone into the fight with an an, an injury, or you nursing an injury? No. Well, well, I was, but the medicals was some sort of scans that I could what. Basically, um, I couldn't. I've been told that I couldn't get MRI scans from years back. But um, the doctors I spoke to with from the UFC said I will be allowed to have them. So I just ended up having them in the end. And then something come up on um, my scan. Something come up in my neck. Um, it's just like a weird little, a weird little thing come up on the scan. So I had to get that double checked. And then the doctor said it's it's normal. It's just all madness, to be honest. It's all madness, up and downs, but we got there in the end. So that issue with your neck, I mean, it's been widely publicised that obviously you took a bullet to the neck and a bullet to the cheek. Did, was is that sort of related to that injury? It wasn't nothing to do with that. It's like some it's some some artery what's what's growing thick, like a bit thicker than normal or something weird like that. I didn't. It's something weird like that. So on the scan, it, it it looks like I've got blood flow coming from two places. Do, do you know what I mean? It's just weird, it's weird, man, but it's normal, they said. <laughs> really, really weird. You know, I mean, speaking of, speaking of, um, you know, your moniker, um, the miracle. I mean, it it is a miracle, I have to say. I, I, I have to keep bigging you up and to uh, acknowledge the fact that I got it wrong. It's, it's a miracle that you literally... Um, well, I would say it to a certain extent schooled a, a seasoned pro in the octagon in the way that you actually um, dealt with him. But also, obviously, given your background, it's a miracle that you are here. Obviously, um, we've heard a lot of, you know, well, discussion about your past. Now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by this only because I think your story offers inspiration and it offers um, a solitary tale um which somebody as you probably would have seen up and down the country there is evidently a a knife crime epidemic happening right now i mean just with your own story though your own redemptive story how would you you know if you if you had the audience of of a of a young adult in front of you now how would you use your story as one of redemption because from what I gather um, you were deeply entrenched in in gang life, right? Oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say gang life. but I'd just say just problems and you know what I mean. I won't say like gang life, but just problems and it. It's just you know what you know what. See in this area, like a lot of things go on in it. Like you can you can get caught in a street fight and things can happen. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's just that's just how this area is. Like I've lost, I've lost family cousins, uncles, thing, uh, friends, like, if it just happens, you know what I'm saying? This is how it is around here. Um, it's, not, it's nothing to do, like, obviously the gangs are big, big things, but 
other people's have personal personal vendettas or mistaken identities and all sorts of stuff, do you know what I mean? So just on that incredible tale, I mean, just for our US listeners who didn't actually um, catch your pre-fight interviews, you were yeah. shot once in the neck, once in the cheek, but you spat those bullets out. And that's why I kind of dubbed you on Twitter as MMA's 50 Cent, because just like 50, you, you literally spat out the bullet, right? Yeah, yeah. Crazy, isn't it? Now, 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 I suppose you know that that segues into your name, the miracle. Is that were you coined or were you uh, named the miracle after that particular incident? Yeah, named that, named afterwards. It is a miracle, isn't it? Absolute miracle. I mean, again, I, I just really want to kind of close off the the narrative in terms of um, what an inspiration that you your story could be to you know, young adults caught up in the system and actually um, caught up in the crossfire. How do you see things in terms of how, you know, young adults these days are actually caught up in what effectively is uh, gang violence, which they're not actually involved directly in? And what would you say is the route out if there was one? I mean, using your own example as, uh, as a possible story that which they can actually draw inspiration from. I would just say, like, focus your energy on something. Like, see, 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 see before martial arts, yeah. Um, all the like, it's just growing up. Like, all the kids, you always have something to prove in it. You always have something to prove to others that you're this guy and you can do that to this person, and and that's how you gain your reputation. And that's how you get people to like you or or you don't gain respect from people, but. That's not the that's not the best way to gain respect. Like through the way I've gained like proper respect is through martial arts, and I I don't feel like I need to prove anything to anyone anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? And like so, before martial arts, I must have had a, I used to always have street fights and stuff like that. But now, since I started martial arts, I'm not had one street fight in six years. Do you know what I'm saying? So that's that's that says a lot. To, to you so that says a lot to me um, martial arts just it just gives you that different kind of respect for people and and it's crazy man it's crazy it's crazy what it actually does for people wow now when you're talking about you know street fights was it along the lines of um chris eubank and his street fights where you'd have a pre-arranged um pre-designated spot where you'd um meet up and actually basically just have a fist fight i mean how how um how organized was it we call it we call it straight now but that it happens like that sometimes but sometimes it's just it's just you see on site. Whoever, yeah on site you see whoever out and about and you get on you just get to work sometimes it's group fights it's four on fours whoever sometimes it's ten on twos you know what i mean that's it's, it's, it's just it used to get mad like that but ever since i've started martial arts and that, i've never even come across anything like that which is fantastic because, like I say, you are in a situation now where, you know, you can actually prove to be an inspiration. I mean, your words today in um, actually focusing and basically I, I, I take it that um, you're just like myself from um, Caribbean Jamaican heritage, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, one thing which is particular to Jamaica, I would say, and particular to Jamaican heritage is once disrespected, you have to get that just or, or basically um, gain that respect 
back. Now, in doing that, though, you do have an, an escalation of, um, well, uh, a situation which does actually lead in some cases to fatal conflict. So is what you're saying that we need to get away from that mindset of, you know, if you feel disrespected, you're not out to get that respect back. Yeah, exactly. That's the that's the main thing. That's 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 what why people are getting killed. Like disrespect. It's when people get if people shouldn't be disrespected anyway. But when when you get the people get disrespected, it's like wow. Um, mostly people are thinking what other people are thinking. Some people are not even bothered what's happened to them. They're just thinking this person thinks they're an idiot. This person thinks they're an idiot. Nah, I need to fix that. Do you know what I'm saying? And then that's where that's when people end up getting killed or hurt. And in terms of, you know, what's happening nationally, how how bad is it up in Manchester? Because there was a time when Manchester was called Gunchester. I, I remember that. And it's, ter- it's, ter- it's turning like London now. It's, it's people are just getting stabbed left and left, right and centre of Manchester. It's, it's literally turning like London now. More, less people are getting shot, but more people are getting stabbed. You see, that that's what I was going to ask about in terms of what does seem to be a London-wide epidemic, it does sound from what you just said there that things are turning towards, um, well, constant stabbings on a week-to-week, day-to-day basis, right? Exactly. I'm hearing loads of people over the weekend. It's like five, six people at a time and and it never used to be like that. So it's just getting worse and worse. And people are, obviously, people are just hearing this person's been stabbed or oh, so I need to carry a knife, you know what I'm saying? And then that that just leads to more things happening. So it's like everybody's got knives. And that's one thing which, you know, Kane and I speak about on a constant basis, and that is what he's doing to actually, you know, well, I suppose influence the situation towards a better outcome. I just wondered how involved you were with his movement, which I have to say... Props to him. He's just doing quietly. He's not going out there blowing his trumpet. If anything, as soon as I see anything or I hear anything about what he's doing, it's me that's kind of like fanning the flames and getting the news out there. But he's very quiet with it. And I just wondered if you were involved in the same movement and if you were involved in, you know, actually turning the youth towards something a little bit more positive. I'm not at the minute. I won't lie. I won't say I lie. I'm not at the minute, but I do plan to. Um, obviously, as as high up I get. In this MMA thing, as an influencer, the more I will be able to do for the communities and stuff. Um, of course, I want to help and I want to give. I want to give back to the community. As, as soon as like I get the opportunity to, and can set up like workshops, I want to. And obviously, my end goal is to open a gym in like the more deprived areas, maybe like the more sides of the fallow fields, and get a lot of kids off the streets, get them in the gym get them focusing on positive things. That's, that's the goal. That'd be brilliant. I mean, the more people like yourself and Kane out there are actually devoting time to actually steering the youth away from um, not just gang violence, but just knife crime and just um, just gun fatalities, um, the better, really. I mean, just moving forward, though, in terms of your own personal goals and career, uh, I take it that, you know, obviously you've had your initial um, toe in the water this weekend or this past weekend. Um, From what I've read and from what I've seen and from what I've heard, you're not itching to get back in there straight away. I mean, um, from all intents and purposes, I've heard you want to get back in there early next year. Why the the break? Um, 
So what what it is with me is like I just see I just know how the UFC work and and what type of fights are out there for me now. Like it's it's nothing but elite elite uh, fights now. So I wanted to spend three months on on working on my weaknesses, like the bad points of that fight and stuff. Probably go out to America and get some good solid training in, um, no distractions, and raise my level, and then go again because you don't you don't get two shots at the UFC. If you if you start losing fights and get caught, that's it. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm only 28. I want to stay in the UFC. I want to win fights um, and get this new contract. That's my goal. But I, I know if I've seen people do it before, take three, four fights in 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 like nine months and and not get the best results. I want. I know how good I can get, and I know how much I grow within three, four months. So I want to be stepping up the level each time. Each time I fight, I want to be getting there in there ten times better. And that's the scary thing about you, Larone, because you've gone in there with an absolute killer. And to most people on their UFC debut, they would look at that as um, something which they didn't want to repeat in a hurry. But from what you've said there, you're looking to move past uh, Tukogov now. And um, I just wondered, though, you must have your eye quite firmly fixed in terms of a game plan, in terms of who you'd like to step in there next. I mean, I'm not asking you to call people out. I, I get the distinct impression that's not really your game, but I'm just intrigued as to what would float your boat in terms of next steps. Do you know what? Like, I've been watching. I've been watching the featherweight division closely in the UFC, and there's no easy fights out there. Literally, there's no. Even people that are coming from the contender series are good, like high level. Do you know what I'm saying? There's literally no easy fights out there. It's good fights, good fights. So it's just, it's just whoever the UFC give me really. Um, I'm happy to fight anyone like like you've just seen. I took that fight on three weeks notice. Um, when I first got the call up, I didn't even know who he was. I just said yes straight away because I feel like I'm at that level now where I can literally fight anybody. But um, I, 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 I believe if I had just a bit longer camp for, for um, this guy, I would have beat him 100%. I would have I would have stopped him, but it's just is what it is. Um, I got the call after three weeks and got injured after a week. <laughs> Classic, isn't it? Wow. I mean, I mean, just on um, that call up and just on the location, from what I heard, the heat was absolutely oppressive. Do you think that actually played a part in it as well? No, it didn't play a part in anything. Um, for one, he was training in Thailand, so that should have been normal to him. It wasn't even that. It wasn't that hot. I don't think it was that hot in there. Me, it was probably it was probably hot for the people that are just just sat about in the stands than it was for us. Do you know what I mean? It was warm, but it wasn't hot, hot like people are going on. I, I, I normally suffer under under heat when I train in other countries. I normally suffer, but I was all right in there. I felt, I felt good. Fantastic. I well, good. I good. well, I have to say congratulations again. I'm glad I got it wrong, and I can't. I, for one, can't wait to see you get back in there. And um, it's a shame, though, that it's got to be next year. But uh, at least... It doesn't have to be next year, you know. Do you know what? If if the UFC come to me this year, in maybe December, late November, December, with something decent, and it's like I'm fit and healthy and ready, I'll, I'll get in there, like... It is what it is, isn't it? I get in there. It just depends what what they come with and and at what time, really. But obviously, I'm gonna have this week off now. 
get my body right again and I'll be back in the gym. I'm in the gym all year round. Tremendous. You know, before you go, I know um, I said that this would be the last question, but I'm intrigued. You've gone from literally the, um, what's the, what's the kind way of actually saying this? In terms of the promotion that you've been fighting for, you know, things like FCC, respect to them, you know, they're putting on shows, but they aren't up there with the likes of, um, you know, the regional shows that we all know of, um, you know, the likes of um, the Cage Warriors or, you know, at the time, Bama. What was it that actually stopped you from being snapped up by Bellator, for example, who were doing a, a massive signing spree? So I did. I did get an offer from Bellator. Ah. I did get an. I did get an offer from Bellator. Um, but my route was my my goals were always the UFC, and I was just thinking when Bellator came in, I was at a point where I just thought, I just kind of felt like I needed two more fights and I could get in the UFC. So when Bellator came in, I think it was like for free free fight contracts or something. Mm. And at that time, I was just thinking, oh, I don't want to sign that. Or I don't want to get to the UFC. I was just trying. I was trying to go the Cage Warriors route, but there was some sort of politics that was holding that back um, between whoever and whoever. Why I couldn't get on Cage Warriors for a bit, but in the end, we got there and I scheduled a fight in October. Um, so that's why I went on holiday because I was thought I was fighting in October. Ah. As soon as I got back from holiday, I got a call from the UFC. But but, but Bellator offer was on the table, and I was I was actually going to sign with Bellator. That is a that that is a, a very um, interesting story that you just told there because that actually fills in a bit of a gap in terms of my understanding as to you literally skyrocketed from FCC um, into the UFC a lot which of people are asking the same thing no to be honest you're not the only one ah. you're not the only one but but you put to be fair yeah um a lot of these a lot of these regional shows have, have, have not not been kind to me at all like I've been trying to get on these shows from three and four and all do you know what I'm saying and I've had to fight on smaller shows and smaller shows been trying to get big fights been trying to get big fights for years. So what is that? What is, I mean, I obviously don't want you to go into specifics, but you talked about politics there and you talked about, you know, wanting to get on the smaller regional shows. It's, it's incredible that, you know, a man of your calibre um, was finding it difficult to get on, you know, what effectively was, a, as you just rightly termed, a smaller regional promotion. Yeah, it's it's just politics, man. Like people not liking other people, and oh, yeah. but I'm just a I'm just a fighter. I just want to fight. You got know to say like, should put all that aside and just let me fight. If, if you don't like that person, so what? I, it, it's me who wants to fight in it. Like, put, just match me up. It's 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 just all weird, man. But oh, oh, thank God we got there in the end, anyway. Without all that. Well, to be fair, it would seem that for once, politics playing a part in your career and your journey actually turned around and actually um well was a positive aspect of why you're actually in the ufc so you know you've got to praise politics for once no definitely definitely it's right though because i could have had a much harder journey um getting to getting to the top if i was going through them promotions obviously this the uk is full of killers right now it's full of killers right now like i'm loving i'm loving the scene 
coming up. But at the same time, I would have I would have liked the experience. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. fighting against higher caliber fighters because I've been having to fight people from from Belgium, Italy, and I, their guys, their top guys are not nowhere near as good as our top guys. I will tell you that one now. The the guy I fought last was top five in Italy, and I can I can name off twenty guys in, in England that are better than that guy. Do you know what I mean? Mm. The the UK circuit's on fire right now, and there's a lot of good good talent coming up. Baron Murphy, I have to say it's been a a a, a very interesting thirty minutes talking with you, and I I I do like the fact that you know. Um, you've actually silenced not just myself, but a lot of other critics, which I saw, you know, online in terms of chatter, um, actually doing the rounds. And it, it's good that you've made such a, a massive impression on the UFC to the extent where, you know, a lot of people are now, uh, they can't wait to actually see you get back in there, which is great. Yeah, it's good, man. I love it. I love it. It's good. A lot of people are behind me. Do you know how many DMs I was getting before the fight saying, Zafira is going to kill you. What, 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 what are people do? What, what are the UFC doing? Um, feeding you to him? You just, you just cannon fodder and this and that. And I was just, I was just sitting there thinking, like, he's good, but you're going to get shocked. Like, I know, I know I can match this guy. He's not going to blow me out of the water. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm glad I didn't DM you because uh, that would have been ever so slightly <laughs> disrespectful. But I'm also glad that, you know, you proved me wrong because I can see where the sentiment would come from. But um, yeah. you, you certainly, uh, as I say, have made a massive impression now. Yeah, it's good, man. It's good. Nothing but good for the UK scene, is it? Exactly. Well, on that note, I just wanted to thank you again for your time and uh, thank you so much for your performance as well. And, um, you know, looking forward, as I mentioned earlier, to seeing you get back in the cage really quickly. Yeah, me too, man. Thanks for the call, bro. Essentially, I like the fact that um, Lerone was very, very candid. There was a lot of, um, well, he unpacked the story of how, you know, he was actually shot in the neck and the cheek. Um almost reluctantly looked like in the post or in the sorry pre-fight interviews I think the first person on the scene to actually um, get that story out of him was my good buddy Nick Pete from the Fight Disciples and um, I like the way in which you know he wanted to concentrate more on you know his preparation and I have to say in a little exclusive um, a lot of people may have known now the reason why you know he was very reluctant to take to twitter take to facebook and to announce the fact that he'd been signed to the ufc the fact is we almost didn't see him fight in the ufc because of those health issues which were cleared up last minute so it was good it was good to get you know the perspective of you know what it was like in the run-up and i like the fact that you know he suddenly not necessarily comfortable um, to a certain extent talking about his past, but, you know, he's um, less reluctant to uh, reveal details. Now, the way that I look at it, I just cannot wait to see him get back in there because I really do feel he's got a bright future in the UFC. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I mean, who doesn't like a striker like that? Do you know what I mean? Like, his, his striking prowess is pretty nice. And... And I, I do like his backstory, and I do quite understand why he wanted to keep it under wraps for a little bit and, and whatnot, because it's like something that had occurred in his past and maybe a past that he's not too proud of. And, 
it's not something you want to keep talking about over and over again. It's not something you always want people to focus on. So I understand his reluctancy, but it still is a testament to like his mental strength because in his fight, I can't pronounce these Russian men's names. It makes me so angry. Um, <laughs> Tuganov, in his fight against Tuganov, he took a hard shot in the first round and he ate, yeah. it. He ate it like it was nothing. And then he adjusted and came back the second and third round and gave him the business. That's mental strength. He didn't fall apart. Because between me and you, Mike, and the listeners, I'm talking as if, you know, it's just me and you. <laughs> but mm. uh, um, between me and you, I, I thought that after, that was going to break him. He's in, he's in Abu Dhabi. He's in the, in, in the enemy's backyard. He, he has less experience than Tugumov. And, and then he gets a shot like that early in the first round. I was like, well, there it is. It's over. And... Look at look what he did. He came right back and fought his ass off to a draw and had several guillotine attempts. I mean, that just goes to show you how tough this guy is. And I'm not surprised. Exactly. I mean, yeah, and, and not just tough in an exterior, um, uh, mentally, from an exterior point of view, but mentally, yes. his iron will. I mean, in the face of people, actually, he said he had over 100 DMs of people basically saying, look, you're cannon fodder. You're basically just here just to bow down and be uh, an example set of how, you know, um, Dagestani uh, MMA is actually uh, yeah. played out in the cage. And I like the fact that he just thought, you know what? You're not going to be eating uh, crow and eating crow in abundance. And, you know, I was one of those people. I mean, as he probably heard in the interview, um, you know, I I went to great lengths to explain that I was one of the detractors, one of the doubters. But a doubter and detractor, I am no more. Yeah. And and Mike, you weren't a dick about it. You were you uh, once again, as as you always are, you were objective. So I'm pretty sure he wasn't he was not offended by you having your doubts. It's the assholes that went in his DMs. It's the people that kick fighters when they're down. It's the it's the keyboard warriors, which you are not. But yes. And even myself, I thought the same thing. And I thought this was a Dagestani um, showcase for the UFC. So when they put this guy and it, and you know what I think is funny, Mike, it probably was. I think I think the UFC felt that way, too. Look at look at the difference in experience. That was a setup. Tukhanov was supposed to showcase his skills against somebody. And Murphy said, I don't think so. You don't know me. And I fight well. And you don't know what I've been through. And I loved it. And like I said before, in the last segment, Americans have their eye on him. So Murphy needs to capitalize on this. I want him to win his next bout, and I want him to do it in in, in a devastating fashion so that Americans can keep talking because we like savages. So if he puts somebody down in his next fight, if he keeps this up, He's he's going to create a, a fan base here because I'm telling you on my Twitter page, everyone was like, who is this guy, including me? Which is exactly how he wants it. Now, moving swiftly on, Bellator 226 went down mm-hmm. weekend just gone. Beta versus Congo. For me, um, the main talking point uh, was on the prelims uh, with John McAppa. I'm taking on Ashley Grimshaw. Now, it actually ended in a corner stoppage in round two. Um, It looked like Ashley Grimshaw sustained a massive cut beneath his eye. Now, for me, I did say going into this, you know, not trying to, you know, be the great I am saying I'm I'm the predicting uh, genius because I certainly am not. But I didn't see him getting past John McAppa and it looked like that was the way it was going um, basically from the start to when the actual TKO took place. But 
that was the only I, I would say for me um, because it was a Brit that was the only person who I was keeping a, a keen eye on um, apart from you know before we get to the the main card were there any other talking points which you wanted to touch on absolutely um, I've had my eye on Adam um, Boric for a while this undefeated guy from uh, Hungary and he's mm. he's pretty awesome and um, I thought he was going to hit a wall with Pat Curran because just simply because Pat has like great defense and he's a hard-earned vet you know what I mean like he's got a lot a lot 23 of, and 9 there you go I don't have it up on mm. my computer but you got me Mike he's 23 and was it 23 and 0 or 23 23 and 9. 9. Oh, excuse me. 23. So that's a hell of experience coming exactly. in. Exactly. And I'm I'm aware of his defensive prowess. So he's a he's a vet. And then but Adam in that flying knee, bro. Like he got Adam Pico with it and then he hit Pat with it. To, and then he goes down and he follows up with this vicious vicious ground and pound and he doesn't stop even though there's 10 seconds left in the round. And Frank Trigg comes over and he's seen enough and he put Pat Curran this vet on his ass. In beautiful fashion. Got it it done in one. Yeah. Flying knee round two, TKO to ground and pound. And he fights like a, he fights like he's been doing this his whole life. And and I'm really looking forward to seeing him fight more featherweights in Bellator. Like, I think he's somebody that all of us need to keep an eye on. He's uh, he's really something special. Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. You know, what wasn't special? Um, And that was Ryan Bader and Czech Congo. I think... Czech Congo, you know, no disrespect. Like I always say, it's not for me to tell you as a fighter, you know, basically when to hang up your gloves. But Czech Congo for me is way past his sell-by date. And he kind of showed it in this, in that, are you seriously telling me, after seeing that replay, you agree with Czech that he was poked in the eye? Because it looked as though... He sustained that injury to the eye before he went down. And that poke to his eye, which he was talking about, it looked like a poke to the nose. I watched it over and over and and in slow motion as well. It was a poke to the nose. Nowhere near his eye. Oh, I watched it too. I I watched an interview with Ryan Bader and Ariel. And Ryan Bader said he put it on his IG page in slow motion. So I said, fuck that. I'm going on his page to check it out. And I watched it there again. It's a blatant... Uh, poke in the nose he literally put like his whole finger inside his nose and the the eye injury because if you look when Czech Congo got up his eye looked messed up it, it's not like he faked it he did get hit in the eye but it was from like I think that uppercut like Ryan Bader said in the interview exactly so he did have an eye injury but let me tell you what I think happened and I'm not trying to be a dick or nothing like that Czech mm. realized that he was in over his head and then now he has an eye injury he was like I'm not getting hurt I'm not going further. Like, before the eye injury, Ryan Bader w- was beating the crap out of him from the time the fight started up until Czech Congo told the ref that he couldn't see out of his eye. I don't even exactly. think Czech even landed a, a, a punch or anything. Ryan was killing him. And then you're telling me now you have an eye injury and you're going to fight a dude that was just kicking your ass from here to kingdom come? He was like, no, no way. I'm not getting hurt. And, and he took that <laughs> opportunity to get out of there. It was a mismatch, if you ask me. No, no, I, t- I, I totally agree. And um, it's funny you say that, you know, Czech felt as though he was over his head because yep. it, it did look as though, you know, he was looking for that way out because no way, no how did that finger go anywhere near his eye. You know, you know just on the theme of Bellator, it's one of the uh, promotions 
which I discussed with um, Leo the Lion Kuntz, who's our next guest, mm. because it just seems as though, from what he's been saying and from what he's been tweeting, he's finding it pretty difficult looking for a fight. And seeing as though, you know, Bellator are, well, they're, they're on, a, on, a, on a massive signing spree and they have done, been for a while. I was quite surprised that they hadn't snapped him up. Anyway, Me I think too. it's time we heard from the big man. Let's do it. Joining me on this week's WOCast, a name, a blast from the past, which we've not heard for a while, Leo the Lion, Kuntz. How you doing, my man? I'm doing fine, Mike. Thanks for having me on. How about yourself? Well, I can't complain, I have to say. Um, it's, uh, I-, I was watching, obviously, an old friend of yours yesterday, so um, uh, Islam Makachev, and uh, that must have brought back some memories for you. Oh yeah, well he was uh he would have been my first fight in the UFC. And uh you know, he's he's definitely a tough dude. He actually had uh Khabib in his corner. So, um yeah, that's that that's actually I've actually fought against Khabib in the corner uh twice actually. A fight in um a fight that I had in Korea for Road FC I had a Dagestani uh, a Dagestani fighter as well and and Khabib was in his corner too. So, you know, I think that's a really good place for us to start, basically, your UFC stint, because it was almost like a, a revolving door in that your stay was quite short-lived. I mean, first off, the whole UFC call-up for you, um, that was obviously something that you were working towards. When you actually got the call-up, was that a last-minute thing or you had a very nice segue into the UFC? I, yeah, I actually did. Um, basically what happened is, uh, uh, you know, my manager, I was at a point in my career where I also used to be, uh, a brick mason. So, and I ran my own company. I had a contracting license in North Dakota for over five years and the contracting company was going well. Um, fighting was going well too. I was 17 and one at the time, but I was, no longer happy fighting at the local scene. And I, you know, I told my manager, I was like, Hey, we got to make something happen. Uh, otherwise I'm just gonna, you know, it doesn't make sense for me to fight anymore. I was like, we got, we got to make something happen. And month later, uh, he gives me a call. He's like, uh, yeah, I just got in touch with the UFC. Um, they got openings. They said you're in. So it actually, you know, for me, it was, uh, I had time. Um, uh, you know, I knew I was getting in. It wasn't a last minute thing, but, um, the first fight that I was scheduled to fight, I actually had to pull out of though, because of, um, because of, uh, an injury. I had a soft tissue damage to my rib and it was pretty bad. And it, you know, it was bad enough to the point where getting up out of bed, coughing, breathing, all those types of things were putting me in a lot, a lot of pain. So I actually had to pull out of my, my first UFC fight. But yeah, I, I had uh, I had time. I knew about it, and you know all that good type of stuff. So, is that you on your end? Yeah, yeah. I just I had another another call. I just uh, I swiped it up here. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I have to say, you uh, you 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 have well. When you think about it in hindsight, we touched on it slightly there, Islam Makachev. He was your, well, basically he welcomed you into the UFC. Um, I'm intrigued. You know, you you said um, you had someone lined up initially. Who was that going to be against? That would have been a much better fight for me, actually. Uh, Yost Dennis Sedeno. 
uh, was the opponent. He's actually not, uh, he actually got cut from the UFC as well. And, uh, so, um, he, he was a much lower caliber fighter. I mean, no matter what, you know, Makachev was, uh, was definitely a beatable, winnable fight for me, but that was my first time ever being down to 155. And it was, uh, <clears throat> it was not a good, it's not a good weight class for me. I'm, I'm not, I'm not like a giant 170 pounder or anything like that, but, uh, my, you know, just my body fat, my body composition to get down to 155. It's just, it's, 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 I'm not getting an advantage. So obviously, um, one of the, I would say, um, striking things about your career was the whole mix up and, uh, scandal. I, I suppose some, some might actually term it as, um, with, uh, Tae Hoon Bang. Now, when that fight was actually announced, it was quite a memorable one because, um, okay, it, it depending on your point, point of view and you depending on your sense of humor. Um, Bang Kuntz, um, I have to say, was doing the round on the internet. I mean, when you look back on that whole um, episode, I mean, just on that, you know, the, the names um, coincidentally being uh, a point of hilarity. I mean, how did you feel about all of that? I mean, I, I doubt it was coincidentally, to be honest. Uh, you know, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was more intentional than anything. Would be my that would be my opinion on it. I mean, I haven't talked to any of the people that do the posters for the UFC, but I would imagine that they've seen that and were like, "Oh yeah, this could probably you know turn into turn into uh, uh, some good publicity for us." And and uh, it did. You know, it, it took the. You know, it was. Uh, it was it was funny a lot of people uh got a kick out of it i thought it was funny and it, you know anything anything that uh, promotes my name is good for me so i was all about it and uh i wish i would have been more into social media at that time i just <clears throat> when i got into the ufc i was just at a point in my life where you know i didn't really see any advantages of being on social media so you know, I just, I was, like I said, I was just at a point there where none of that stuff was important for me. Um, I, w- I could have capitalized it a lot, could have capitalized on it a lot more if I would have had the mindset towards social media that I have now, which is, I mean, you know, I, I'm, it's great for branding yourself, promoting your name, promoting your brand, uh, sponsors, all that type of stuff. Now, that, um, how can I put it, initial um, publicity, which, you know, had a, had a bit of hilarity, actually went south and went sour very, very quickly. There are allegations of match fixing, not pointed towards you, but specifically towards your opponent, um, Bang. Now, when this actually was actually, um, well, when this actually uh, occurred at the time, um, how soon was it that you were able to extricate your name from the match fixing allegations because a lot of people were thinking initially that there was a little bit of collusion going on here well i mean you know as far as all that stuff type uh, as far as all that uh, type of stuff goes i mean i never really i never got into any issues um at all with with uh, as far as the fight fixing went um because you know the way the bets came in they basically knew that he was the one that was uh, going to be taking the dive. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't even know, I didn't even know how the lions um, were, you know, I didn't realize that the lions, the betting odds were based upon 
the actual bets that came in because I just, I had no experience with sports betting or any of that type of stuff. And I, you know, I didn't make any wagers at all on the fight, but he actually bet on, he put down $50,000 for himself to lose. And then also a million dollar bet came in for him to lose the night before the fight. So that's that's actually how the UFC found out about the fight, uh, the fight fixing um, scandal there. And as far as you know, anything with my involvement, I mean, that's just that was just speculation from uh, you know whoever whoever was whoever was trying to put two and two together. It was just speculation. I mean, I never had any repercussions from from anything having to do with that uh, fight fixing. Uh, Taehyung Bong actually spent ten months in uh, Korean prison. Wow, so he was actually incarcerated at the end of the day then? He was, yeah. Not not immediately, but um, he. it was several months later. It was several months later when he was back in, uh, he was back in Korea. And actually, I'm pretty sure what happened, because uh, his lawyer actually contacted me and asked me to write a statement about the fight, um, just giving my opinion on what I thought of his intentions in the fight. And I, I've, I've sparred. You know, I've been in this game for a long, long time, and you can tell when someone's holding back, when someone's not trying their hardest to win the fight. And regardless of what he had planned going into that fight, you know, I there was nothing that I there was nothing about that fight that would have made me think he was trying to throw the fight. And uh, you know that what what actually ended up happening is the UFC spoke to both of us as we're getting our hands wrapped. So like our, not, you know, we're up on deck to, to go out and fight and the UFC comes and talks to both of us and explains the situation to us. Now the conversation, I don't know what conversation they had with Bang, but I can tell you, I'm sure it was not much at all. Like the conversation they had with me and the, the conversation they had with me was pretty simple. They were just like, Oh, Hey, listen, there's a huge odd swing that came in. We just kind of wanted to let you know what was going on. We wanted to let you know that, Hey, it's going to be in your best interest to just go out there and, and perform to the best of your abilities. That, you know, so that was a very, it, you know, they, they basically knew that I didn't have anything to do with it. And then, uh, but the conversation that they had with bang, though, I'm sure that was a much different conversation because they knew that the bets had came in on him uh, to lose. You know, so he was, you know, he, it was pretty obvious to them that he was the one who was going to be throwing the fight. And so I'm sure they had a very different conversation with him than they did with me. And that's actually in, in his court case in Korea that he actually came out and had said that that is one of the reasons why he decided not to throw the fight was because the UFC found out that the gig was up. And, uh, that's the reason that he, the reasons that I was told that he, he turned himself in to the Korean authorities because he was scared for his life. So I, I take it, because he, I was about to say, I, I take it that, um, the people who he had actually, um, colluded with were, uh, well, some kind of like, uh, mafiosa type, um, gangsters. It was it was Korean organized crime for sure. Yeah, it was it was certainly a Korean organized crime element that uh, that he was. They gave him money, hundred thousand dollars, approximately hundred thousand dollars U.S. He bet half of it 
on me to win. And then the Korean mafia bet close to a, uh, close to a million dollars us on me to win as well. And these bets came in all the night before the fight. So we had, we actually set in the one, one night we actually set uh, two UFC records, one for the largest overnight odds swing. And then also it was the first ever confirmed fight fixing in the UFC. Now, I take it when you say that the UFC spoke to you, and it seems like the uh, the conversation was ever so slightly amicable, but um, I take it when they spoke to you, was that Dana White himself, or it wasn't at that level? <clears throat> no, no. I think these were these were higher-up guys than Dana White, uh, because the, the I didn't know who these guys were, but my coaching staff... Uh, definitely knew who they were. And they're like, when they seen these guys come in, their jaws basically dropped, you know, when they seen these guys come in and then start talking to me. And they didn't want to, during, you know, like I said, I was getting my hands wrapped when this happened. So they played it off at that point pretty calmly. And like, oh yeah, just don't worry about it, yada, yada, yada. But after the fight, that's when they kind of explained to me what was going on. And I still don't, I don't even know the names of the guys, but they were, they were very high up in the UFC. Uh, I do know that that from uh, that's what my corner had told me after you know after the fight was done and all that type of stuff. <clears throat> but yeah, I, I had no idea. <clears throat> now the the travesty, so it would seem, after two losses in the UFC, you were, if you don't mind me saying, unceremoniously cut. I mean, just how did you manage to, like I said, in an almost uh, revolving door? type of situation find yourself outside of the UFC after only two fights well I mean you know at that time they were basically doing uh well with the contracts that you sign you know it's like performance based and you know the UFC has all the options pretty much unless unless you're unless you're winning fights back to back to back you know and then you have some abilities to renegotiate your contract yada 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 but basically the you know basically the ufc has got you know all, all, all they're holding all the cards in those contracts and they have uh you know based on your performance they have the right to cut you and then what, what was going on at that time is they were just doing a, a two loss they're basically doing uh uh if you get back to back losses you're out you know, and that's they're trying to cycle through guys and get the next big name in there. And all. You know, it works. It, 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 you know, it's I definitely don't agree with that philosophy towards handling your fighters. I know they're always looking for the next biggest, best thing, the next Conor McGregor, yada, yada, whatever. But it's just it's not it's not, in my opinion, how you should run a business when you're looking, you know, Athletes aren't like, um, you know, pro athletes aren't like uh, regular old employees. You know what I mean? The, the, in order to get to that point in the sport, you know, there's only a handful of people in the world who reach that point in the sport. And, you know, after to get cut after two fights, I mean, I I'd, all my fights were at 170 before that. So I had went down to 155 just for the UFC. And, uh, you know, it was a bad, it, it was a bad decision on my part. Um, I thought I'd be gaining an advantage fighting, you know, get, dropping down on a weight class, but the weight cut was just weight cut was just too much for me. And, uh, I mean, you know, it was just, just one of those things where, yeah, I wasn't happy with being cut from the UFC, but I, there was nothing I could do about it. So. 
Can I play devil's advocate just for a second? I mean, 155 yeah, being 155 being one of their uh, deepest divisions, it would make sense that it being performance-based, um, if there isn't enough, uh, well, if they have too much of one thing, they have to look where they can actually cut that one thing. That makes sense. Absolutely. And that's, like I said, you know, from the, from the UFC st- standpoint, you know, they're trying to cycle through guys, but look at Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler was cut from the UFC too, you know, and he's, he's a, <laughs> a top five, arguably a top five welterweight. And he, he was cut from the UFC as well at one time, you know, there's a handful of guys out there who've been cut from the UFC, got back in, went on to have, you know, fairly relatively good careers or, or guys that got world champions who got cut after two losses. You know, so it's just it's a it's a it's a strange uh, it's a strange playing field that the UFC is creating to to try to find, you know, these next the guys that can get them the most money, you know, which is basically what they're doing, what they're looking for. They're looking for the guys that are going to that are going to generate their uh, that are going to generate them profits, you know, generate them revenue. So and from their standpoint, I can totally understand it, but it's just being a fighter and also having been an employer myself. Okay. It's like, that is not how, in my opinion, you create the best workplace or, or basis for your company. You know, it's like, um, you know, some of these other promotions like one FC and, and, you know, even Bellator, they spend time on building their guys, you know, so that the guys don't have to be worried about, okay, what happens? How am I going to feed my family? You know what I mean? And things like that when, when just based on your performance. So it's uh it's a double-edged sword, you know, but it's, it's either, either way I have no choice in the situation. So. I mean, speaking of choices, one of the things, you know, I wanted to follow up on was, you know, Moving forward, obviously you're on the outside of the UFC now, but there are choices out there in terms of uh, places where you can fight. As you mentioned, you know, the 1FCs and the Road FCs and the Bellators of this world. I mean, what inspired you to settle on Road FC? Well, I mean, they were doing a million dollar tournament at that time. So that was uh, that was the biggest thing for me that uh, drew me into them was a chance to win a million dollars. So, I mean, you know, and also because I'm half Korean, uh, I was never, you know, I born, I was born in the States, grew up in the States, but, uh, ethnically I'm half Korean. So the first time I ever seen my Korean family was when I went over to road FC. Oh, actually when I went, to, uh, when I fought for the UFC in Korea. And then, uh, because of that, you know, I had, I had actually gotten um, sl- some slight contacts with road FC, uh, just from, uh, the exposure that I had there with the UFC. And then that's, you know, one thing just led to the next and, you know, but to be honest, it, if, you know, naturally it was a chance at a million dollars that uh, m- most, uh, you know, per- perked my interest in fighting in row FC for sure. So I'm, I'm quite curious because you've got a boxing match lined up. Have you put, have you put away your four ounce gloves now or are you looking to either get on or get signed by Bellator or even, you know, one FC? I mean, you know, MMA is definitely my sport, but I'm at a point in my life and in my career where, I mean, I've been, this, 
the this is the most that I've been able to train in my career consistently right now. And uh, I've been here at American Top Team now for almost six months without a break. Uh, and, and I want even when I was in the UFC, I was basically doing fight camps at Top Team. I'd have to go home, you know, and when I wasn't fighting, I'd have to go back home and work and train back home and all that stuff. And then during my fight camp, when I had a fight coming up, I'd come down and I'd train at American Top Team for like 10 weeks before the fight, you know. But now I've been training consistently at top team for you know in the last year i've probably spent nine to ten months at top team uh so this is you know i'm at a point in my career where i need i'm looking to stay busy i'm looking to compete and right now the problem is i'm not getting any interest from any of these other promotions ufc doesn't or ufc doesn't have any interest bellator minimal interest one fc minimal interest so I need to go out. I need to do something to get these guys interested in me again. And boxing is also another boxing is also um, another combat sport that pays well if you can get yourself established. So you know, and also the, you know, in the beginning, you know, when you first start getting into the pro boxing scene, you're not fighting. 12 round fights you know they'll the most they'll let you fight is a four round fight then you have to get so many rounds uh so many rounds scheduled then they'll let you go to six rounders eight rounders so on and so forth so it's a good it's a good way for me to get back into competing because it's been over a year since uh since i've been in a competition so it's it's a good way for me to get back into competing that's also going to help me to brand and market myself to not only mixed martial arts crowd and fan base but just the combat sports world in general and i'm pretty it's almost for sure that i'm going to be also doing some pro kickboxing as well um as well as the pro boxing so it's you know i'm just i'm i'm an athlete i'm a competitor i want to compete if if i can't find the right fight to do it in mma i'm going to go find it somewhere else so in terms of the kickboxing, what are we looking at? Glory? I mean, you know, I, right now it's just kind of all up in the air. As far as right now, I'm just looking I'm just looking to when it comes to the other combat sports, you know, I'm not looking to make a huge step right now. I'm a, I'm O and O as a professional kickboxer. I'm O and O as a professional boxer. You know, I want to go in, I want to get my feet wet a little bit. Once I get my feet wet a little bit, get settled into these uh, other combat sports, then I'm going to start, you know, uh, putting the pieces together and wondering, hey, where do I go? And also, it's going to depend a lot on my management and what type of contracts I get into because I'm not going to sign any type of contract with any promotion that's going to be exclusive. You know, the, the only promotion that I would maybe the only promotion that I'd maybe sign an exclusive deal with, you know, would be like the UFC. But then again, they don't, uh, I can't remember for sure exactly how my contract was the last time I was in there, but I'm pretty sure it's only MMA promotions that they, uh, handcuff you, that they handcuff you to. I'm pretty sure that you can go fight, uh, well, McGregor did it, but I don't, you know, I'm, it's been a while since I've been in the UFC. So, Whatever happens, I'm not going to sign. I'm not going to sign anything exclusive with anybody. Certainly, so. Not that um, I mean, uh, I, I know this isn't about me, but not that it's 
from where I'm sitting, an attractive option. But what does seem to be quite flexible is the way in which the bare knuckle organisations have allowed um, fighters to actually, uh, for want of a better word, um, flip from um, promotion to promotion and uh, um, combat art to combat art. Is that something which you've 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 toyed with? Actually, yeah, I've, uh, my manager, there's a, um, have you heard of Valor, uh, bare knuckle fighting? It's, uh, Ken Shamrock's promotion. Yes. He's yeah. They're doing their inaugural event actually is in North Dakota. And I found out about it a little bit late and, uh, their card, the card is already actually full. Um, they had, they had their card finalized. We tried getting on, um, last minute, but, uh, it, they just couldn't get us in there. Um, so Possibly that may be where one of my next fights uh, might be with Valor, actually, as well. So, and again, it's one of those things where you know it's nothing's going to be exclusive, certainly. So, and it's, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm interested. I'm certainly interested at this point. Like I said, I'm just looking to stay active. I want to compete. I want to fight. And uh, if it's if it's not going to be, you know, I'm not going to just take any old MMA fight. It's gotta have. It's got to be a fight. You know, I'm a UFC vet. It's got to be a fight that's going to pay me what I feel I should be making and also is going to have upside for me that can better my career, you know. So it's uh, if I can't find an MMA fight like that, there's other places I can go and fight. You know, my, that's not going to be on Showtime or HBO right away. But uh, like I said, I'm just looking to get my feet wet. You know, I'm, I'm 0-0 in all these other combat sports. So um, once I get my feet wet in there a little bit, then, you know, then I'm going to start doing a little more work, having my manager, uh, start poking around a little bit more and, and seeing, seeing, uh, you know, what, what, what can come out of some of these other combat sports. And finally, uh, I know that you touched on it at the beginning of our conversation, but, um, a lot of fighters I speak to, uh, they talk about the importance of future proofing their career and making sure that obviously they've got an income outside of combat and especially you know when the mixed martial arts journey ends for them i mean what's actually uh in the pipeline for you in terms of future proofing your career uh well i'm recently licensed uh a real estate professional in the state of florida and uh th that's one of the reasons that i've actually been able to stay here and train uh at american top team you know cons so consistently within the last year so that uh that that's something that i mean that's another career path that i'm actually already going down right now i'm not putting you know one of my 100 percent time and effort into real estate because i have so many other things going on uh like training and and uh you know working on getting fights and things like that so the training schedule is it's uh it takes up a lot of my time uh just you know just training alone does so you know with that combined together with my real estate career, I mean, you know, I, I, that's a pretty, that's a pretty full workload right there. And real estate is certainly uh, where I'm going to be the direction that I'll be going after mm -hmm. MMA. Fantastic. Leo, thank you so much for your time. And I'm pleased that, you know, you are still, um, well, keeping your eyes firmly on mixed martial arts and, um, you know, hopefully, just hopefully, with a bit more activity, you know, a few of the promotions will actually reach out to you. So it'd be good to see you back in the cage. Well, I appreciate it, Mike. And, you know, I'm sure once I, that, that's basically what needs to happen is, you know, I, I haven't had a fight, you know, my last fight was over a year and a half ago. 
And, uh, you know, it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to keep the interest of, of, of any promotion or even the fans, you know, when you're, when you're not active. So that's what, that's, that's what my main goal is right now is to get back in competition. And, uh, I'm scheduled right now for mm, just about a month out, October 12th, I'll be fighting in uh, Bozeman, Montana back, you know, very close to home. Assuming this fight goes well, um, I'm going to have a couple more uh, boxing bouts scheduled before the end of the year and uh, just kind of, you know, take things from there and, and see where things go. You know something? That's I it. like the fact that he was completely transparent about, you know, the whole match fixing allegations because I remember at the time I was thinking, is he actually colluding with, Me too. you know, bang on this? Because he would stand to make a lot of money, given how much was at stake. We're not talking about, you know, hundreds or even thousands of pounds. We're talking like, you know, near enough millions. Right. So I, I, I was very, very, I, I, I was relieved that he had nothing to do with it. And I, I, was, I was also quite shocked that it did actually end in a prison term for Bang. Oh, yeah. I, 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 first of all, Michael, I was shocked that um, Bang would even get involved with something like that in, in the area where he's from. Like, it's a pretty strict um, <laughs> region of the world. So for him to even get involved in something like that was just ludicrous. And I'm not surprised that he did time for something like that. I'm surprised it wasn't even longer. I mean, South Korea, you can't even litter in South Korea. Why the hell would you try to throw a fight? Like, unbelievable. And he deserved that um, jail time. But I'm like you. I um, When I initially heard this story... I believe that Leo was also involved because I was like, how much money was involved? And and this guy wasn't going to get a cut. Yeah, right. And then, boom, we were both wrong. Like he had no idea what was going on. And of course, he's candid about it. He had nothing to do with it, you know. What I really liked as well, I mean, I speak to fighters a lot about this and it was nice that, you know, he'd, he'd already, even before, you know, his UFC career, he'd already started future-proofing, um, you know, what was effectively going to look after him after he'd um, finished fighting. And it was good to hear about, you know, his real estate ventures and the fact that, you know, he is not just, you know, hooked on fighting, he's hooked on providing for his family and he's hooked on basically ensuring that there's longevity um, in his power to earn after the fights have stopped. Yeah, and it's nice to get insight on some of these prelim fighters because you get to see what they really go through, that this job doesn't pay all the bills and that you have to have another job and that, you know, fighting is costly. Fighting is something that you, it's almost like you have to support the fighting career yourself. You know what I mean? Like he has to work and also train and, and figure out how he's going to get his foot back in the door. And I think it's it's good yeah. for listeners to hear what he goes through to just kind of put on a show for us and also for him to support his family. I mean, Bellator is not looking at him right now. UFC is meh, you know, and he's got to what? Do boxing to get into it. And And then let's not forget this is dangerous. What if he gets hurt? Look what he's doing just to yeah. get his foot in the door again, just to get that shot again. It's amazing. As much as a lot. As much as I love the guy, I, I have to say my heart sank when he started talking about bare knuckle boxing. I was like, I know. Uh, how do I segue out of this one? But, you know, you know, much respect to him. He, he kind of like the way he, in which he explained it, I think, made a lot of sense. Whilst that may not be his first choice, it's about being active. It's about trying to make sure that your portfolio yeah. is something which is current. And uh, at the moment, you know, he's just 
basically transfixed on getting a fight. So, you know, whether that be bare knuckle, whether that be kickboxing, whether that be boxing, I just like the fact that, you know, he was out to be busy. Yeah, and that's what I mean by, like, the the listeners need to hear that. Like, people need to hear how hard this career really is. This isn't just, oh, I'm in fight camp and then I'm going to have a little fight and I get a little paycheck. No, like, to get to the UFC or even to get to these regional promotions, you need to have, like, almost a resume. Like, the kid's about to – his his sport is MMA, but he's about to do a boxing match to get his foot in the door. Like, that's nuts. And then he talked about the weight cutting and how it played a part in, in his loss, and that's a whole nother facet that is also just debilitating and, and really difficult for these fighters. So it was nice to hear this from Leo. And here's another thing. Leo's big on MMA Twitter, so it was also nice to hear – his backstory, because it's like I tweet this guy all the time, and it was nice to kind of mm. hear the fighter behind the person that I'm tweeting and joking around with. We always crack jokes and shit. So it was nice to hear, yeah. like, oh, this guy's a fighter. This guy's the real deal. This is the guy that got, you know, you know, um, the bang dude and, and the controversy. So it was so nice to put a name, put a voice to the name and, and get to know him a little bit, too, you know? Exactly. I mean, speaking of being busy, because, you know, obviously that was one of the main uh, concentrations in terms of topics and subjects. But speaking of being busy, one person who has um, perfected the art of being busy, and that is Donald Cerrone, who takes on Justin Gaethje this coming Saturday. Now, I know that, you know, Glover Share is also on the card. I know mm-hmm. Nikita Kualov is on the card. I know that Todd Duffy is on the card. I know that Jeff Hughes is on the card. But for me, um, this is a fitting main event in that, you know, these are two dudes who want to scrap. And I can't wait to see them actually throw down. Obviously, um, not just because I want to see incredible fights, because, you know, Donald Cerrone does actually bring it. So does Justin Gaethje. But I have an active interest in this because as part of your push-up challenge, I have chosen Justin Gaethje. <laughs> he is the guy who I'm going with. So um, speaking of uh, push-ups, I, I haven't forgotten your push-ups. I was I just about to bring that up. Mm-hmm. I, well, I, I'm, I'm glad that you, uh, I'm glad I was in there before you brought it up because, uh, yes, I will be pumping out those 20 for you. Uh, how long have I got, by the way? I, I thought it had to be done within a, a certain amount of time, but we didn't actually specify We didn't set the that. time. We set to. the number. But, you know, I was, mm, you we know. We said 20. Yeah. And, you know, I got so busy lately. And then today I was like, wait a fucking minute. Where are my push-ups? <laughs> <laughs> where's, my, where's my video that I'm tagged in? Where is this? Because I do believe Khabib Namegabeth won the fight. So where are my push-ups? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, now that we've set a time, when would you like these push-ups by? I would like them prior to this fight. This fight is Saturday, September. So you have until Friday, September 13th for my push-ups because all of MMA Twitter is going to be doing, you know, our push-ups for Donald Cerrone and Justin Gaethje. So I need this prior to that because my mentions are about to be on fire. Well, you will have them prior to the fight. Perfect. Wow. How about this? So <laughs> you, you got me into this. Yeah. Let's make another bet. Mm. Maybe the uh, co-main. You want to do another 20? Glover Teixeira and uh, Nikita? You want to do I'm that? not dumb. Uh, no, I'm not dumb. I'm already, <laughs> I'm already putting myself on the line uh, with the main event. Okay. Why would I... Why would... Why would I put myself... On the line. It's gambling, the, baby. The I'll tell you what. Double up. What, why don't you bet with yourself? How about that? <laughs> Fine, I will. <laughs> Fine, I will. But, but yeah, um, I can't wait to see this. I, I, I really do feel 
Um, Donald Cerrone does actually get up for a fight. Um, Donald Cerrone is game. He still has his head uh, firmly fixed mm -hmm. on a win. But I just feel as though, um, you know, Justin Gaethje, his come forward style, the fact that he is relentless in terms of pace and, you know, the fact that he just keeps on throwing. Uh, I just can't see Donald Cerrone with that type of pressure. We've seen him crumble against people um, who come forward with that type of relentlessness. I mean, for me, I would say a fight which just keeps coming to mind when I think of that pressure is Darren Till. And I, I see that, you know, Justin Gaethje is going to bring a little bit more in terms of intensity than Dan Darren Till brought to the fight when he had um, that clash with Donald Cerrone. So I'm going with um, Justin Gaethje. Yes, I am also going with Justin Gaethje. And my reason for that is that Donald Cerrone is a slow starter. He's a dangerous man. And also, let's not forget that dad cowboy is far more dangerous than the cowboy we all know. I don't know why, but this man having a child has made him an assassin. But... He still is a slow starter, and Justin Gaethje is not. And also, I do think that Justin Gaethje, I think Cowboy is going to break before Justin Gaethje does. Justin Gaethje, you hit him a couple times, he wakes up, and then he comes back at you twice as hard. I just think he's the tougher, faster fighter, and his leg kicks are I mean, they're unbelievable. Everybody likes to talk about Aldo's leg kicks, Edson Barbosa, but on the Lilo, Justin Gaethje's leg kicks are very hard and painful. So I'm a little worried about that, and I'm worried that Donald's going to start off a little too slow, and Justin Gaethje is going to find his rhythm and timing and get it done. However, for mm. the push-up challenge, I picked Donald, so I might be doing push-ups. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I, you know. So for, we are gonna, we're yeah. going to see some push-ups from G. Come and, on, man. And I'm not scared. I can, you know, believe it or not, I can push. So, you know, I'm going to talk my shit and put up my video and make sure my hair looks nice and do my push-ups. So don't, don't, don't worry about me. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I think we should neatly end off um, or end this podcast with some listener mail. Are we going to pick one or two this week? Yeah, yeah. We've got some good ones. And I want to keep, um, I want to have fun. And I want to keep them in theme with UFC 242. And I have one from uh, MMA philosopher Smart Dan 51 is his handle. He said to us, Mike and Gina, if you were a corner man, do you think you'd have more difficulty and sleepless nights coming up with a game plan for defeat for Khabib or John Jones? What do you think? I like? think definitely, unequivocally, it would be Khabib. Yeah. I would have some serious sleepless nights there because I think with, you know, John Jones, you can dance around the subject, you can run, um, basically you can do all types of things to actually, you know, well, in, in your mind's eye, have coping strategies. But it would seem, regardless of how you plan for someone like Khabib, he will make your worst nightmares a reality. Right. So I, I would have definite sleepless nights at preparing for Khabib. Yeah, and um, Dan, to answer your question. Great question, by the way. Yeah, that's, it's why it's number one. And I, when he sent it over, I was like, yes, I already knew we were going to do it. Um, I would also go with Khabib because there were moments in John's career where he looked human. Even though John is another yes. beast. Oh, my God. And I still think John is up there, too. John also might retire undefeated. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but if he did, I would not be surprised. He's also kind of up there with, like, this guy is, is kind of invincible. Um, yeah. But I think Khabib has only looked 
um, invincible in like he's had some moments, whereas in John has had some fights where I was like, ah, you don't look too good, bro, even though you won. Like when when he fought yeah, o- yeah. when he fought OSP, right? I was like, what is wrong with him? He won, but it was like a meh. Vitor Belfort almost put him in an armbar. Uh, Gustafsson in their first fight gave him the blues, and why? Because Gustafsson has that reach. You know, and Khabib, I can't tell you, I can only tell you that maybe Michael Johnson on occasion caught him really bad. Dustin caught him one time and um, T-Bow, you know, that was a controversial fight. But uh, Khabib looks like he can't be stopped. So if I was a cornerman or a coach, I would be very afraid for my fighter. And I don't know what type of plan I would come up with. <laughs> so my, well, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So next um, question. Moving right along. Let's. um Let's do this one. Aaron Eastwood, um, one of my favorites. Um, why is nobody talking about Till bulking up to the size of a brick shit house? And is Gastelum in more trouble than people think with this newly focused Darren Till? What you think? I don't think that um, Darren Till is bulking up. I think he's, he's always um, looked very, very big outside of fight camp. So this is him just just trying to turn that now into um, muscle. And I think he's, yeah, to a certain extent, at the beginning of his camp. So obviously he's going to look massive. So don't let that fool you. We're going to see, you know, a a sort of like chiseling and and a a sort of honing of what we saw um, a couple of weeks back in that snippet and those videos. But I, I personally didn't think he was that big. Mm, considering how he walks around and the size he walks around um, before fight night anyway. Oh, wow. What do you, do you think, though, that um, he's going to give uh, Kevin some problems here and whatnot due to him going no, up in weight now? No, I, I, I really do feel that's going to work to his detriment. I think that will slow him down. I mean, if you look at how he was hitting those pads a lot slower than we've seen him hit pads in the past, and I think as well that's going to suck his cardio on the night as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I think bulking up might do him some well with his chin. I'm hoping. Um, and I don't know too much. I'm going to be honest. I don't know too much about weight cutting. Peds and weight cutting is not my thing. But um, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, Kevin Gastelum has a speed advantage. And I think he's and then his boxing is superb. I think Kevin is, um, Till is in a little trouble here. And I really don't know if this going up in weight is going to help him or not. I'm still one of those people that's very worried about Kevin Gastelum's speed and, and hands and his striking prowess. So, yeah, I'm not too concerned about uh, Till turning into a brick shit house, like Aaron said. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which was hilarious. But, yeah, I'm not too concerned. He looks great. He looks big. It's his natural weight. I agree with you. But I think Kevin Kelvin is going to get him. Uh, Should we have one more quick one? or um... Yeah, yeah, let's make it quick. This one's kind of cool. Okay. Um, Ashley, the MMA nerd, my homegirl on MMA Twitter, love her. She said, um, it's a two-part question, but we'll make it quick. How can we get through these MMA fans that complain about grapplers? And the reason why she asked that is because, you know, MMA Twitter was, some people were bored with Khabib's, um, um, what's it called, with his fight, which I thought was ridiculous. And then also she said, Mike, what's the worst mac and cheese topping you've ever had? Mac and cheese topping? <laughs> yes, Mac. Yes, Mike. What's the worst um, mac and cheese topping you've ever had? Uh, okay, let me, let, me take the first, <laughs> let, me, let me take the first question first. Um, first off, I, I, I 
Sorry, I'm just like majorly distracted by the second question, though. Sorry. Because we're so fat. Like Americans, like we will put toppings in everything and supersize something. So you're probably like, what the fuck? Like, we are wow. fat. Yeah, wow, that, 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 that threw me. But um, <laughs> getting back to what appears and what sounds like casuals when they're talking about, you know, oh, this wrestling, why don't they just stop hugging on the floor? That is the, 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 the mantra of someone who's new to the sport. And that kind of falls away, I think, with time and with education and with basically ongoing viewing. So that's how you get around that. In terms of the mac and cheese, I don't really think I've ever had a duff mac and cheese. You've never had mac and cheese with like bacon in it or jalapenos? No. Oh, my God. Can you please come to the United States, please, so you can eat like a, a fat bitch and, and then just try all these things? First, it's cornbread and now mac and cheese. You just. <laughs> oh, my God. What am I going to do with you? Um, let me get back. So did you say did you did you say duff mac and cheese or dope mac and cheese? No, no. I said mac and cheese that's had a topping in it. And I said either bacon or jalapenos. Like in the States, you can get mac and cheese with like like baked but with like toppings in it but see oh, really <laughs> this is hilarious i'll answer that question first ashley i think it's um a crime to put toppings in mac and cheese <laughs> that's my answer i am an old-fashioned even though i'm shitting on you mike and i, I have jokes on you right now i, I think it's atrocious <laughs> and i think it's atrocious because i'm west indian i'm i'm caribbean and i find it absolutely yeah. filthy when the people put stuff in mac and cheese it is just mac and cheese and you bake it and you and you eat it. You don't put jalapenos in it. You don't put bacon. You don't put tomatoes. I just think Americans are nuts when it comes to that. So, Ashley, your question is, the worst topping is any goddamn topping in the mac and cheese. I'm West Indian. I'm sorry. And then back to your first question. I'm with Mike on this. When I first started watching MMA, I will admit um, I didn't like wrestling because I didn't know what I was watching. It Because when you're new to um, MMA, you don't see the technique. You don't see the chain wrestling. You don't see um, the submission defenses. You don't understand grappling. So the only thing that I can say to that is that new um, people to MMA need to just keep watching and for years on end. And pretty soon you're going to understand what you're watching because you're going to listen to the commentating and you're going to be able to pick things out. But for us hardcores, I just think we need to just ignore the people on MMA Twitter that are complaining about it or vent about it to each other because there's absolutely nothing we can do. These are people that are new to MMA. So that's it. Exactly. There it exactly. Is. Well, that about wraps up this episode of The Wocast. Join us next week. Before then, if you wanted to continue any aspect of what we've discussed today, you can catch me on Twitter at MikeWoTV. And you can catch G on Twitter at... G from WoTV. And don't forget your push-ups. Until next week, make some trouble. Always, Mike. Take care.